life will wither because you weren't designed as a believer to be alone, off on your own. Christ didn't save us to be sort of free-floating individuals floating out in a nebulous universe, but he saved us together as a people, as a local body drawn together. And the early church presents this so well, illustrates this so well for us. To early Christians, fellowship was not optional. It was essential. Look at the compelling picture here that Luke gives us in verse 44. Glance back there. And all who believed were together. That's just how he's defining them. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, fellowship begins with being together. I mean, that's just where it has to start, right? That's, that's what the word church actually means. There is no church without a gathering. The word literally means assembly or gathering. But it means more than physical proximity to one another. I could tell you that as someone who grew up in a really dense urban area, you can live in close proximity but not know any of your neighbors. It's more than just physical proximity. It includes caring for members who have needs. It includes mutual accountability, one to another in all of our struggles and all of our temptations. It means serving one another, loving one another. It means giving financially. I mean, look at verse 45. Look how, so, how strongly this is. They're selling their property. They're selling their stuff to give because there's a need in the church. Wow. This is a pretty compelling picture here for us. And it is all built upon the shared commitment to be one body in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church's devotion to fellowship was compelling to the watching world, and the world is always watching. It was then, it is now. And this was key to their witness in the early centuries. With all the things that they could say about Christians in the ancient world, and they did, they had all kinds of things, they often misunderstood, and, and Christians were, were very often mocked and ridiculed by the outside world that did not understand them. But out of all the things, they could not deny this one thing, that these people love one another. They couldn't. And they often said that. The Romans and the Greeks would look at, man, these crazy Christians, boy, they are weird. They don't worship our gods. They don't do the things that we do. They don't go to the same schools that we do. We, we don't know what to do with them, but, but man, they love one another. They love people outside the church as well, but there is a special love reserved for those inside. Church, in an ever more fragmented and confused world, people are more lonely than they have ever been. It's ironic because technology has provided the means for where we can be in contact more than ever before, and yet people have never felt more isolated and alone. Just look at the suicide rates. It's, just, it's, it's stunning. This gives the church an opportunity to demonstrate to the watching world the joy of Christian fellowship to a world that is looking for community and love. The world is not like against community and love. They're all for it. They just don't know where to find it. And too often Christians have not shown them well. So we need, we need not only our, our own reward. Of course I want to emphasize and talk all today about the reward within ourselves of this fellowship of the joy and the strength for our faith and the accountability for our sanctification. I could talk about that all day. But if we want a compelling witness, this is it. This is it. Let the world see us as a group of people who are committed to authentic fellowship together. Let them see a people who love one another. In our text, 
Luke describes the core elements that characterize the newly established church. They were committed to teaching. They were committed to living faithfully to apostolic doctrine. And they were committed to being the church together in fellowship. And finally, number three, the apostolic church was committed to worship. Look back at verse 42 with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That language here, we see it in verse 42 and in 46. This language of breaking bread almost certainly refers to the Lord's Supper. Very often there was a meal associated with that, the love feast, but, but, but speaking specifically, this is referencing what we often call communion. The apostolic church was committed to corporate worship. And an important part of their worship was actually the Lord's Supper. Notice this though, look. We actually see both ordinances here. We see the Lord's Supper and we see baptism. Glance back up to verse 41. There are two ordinances or sometimes called sacraments given to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Here we see both from the very beginning. The reason that we often call the Lord's Supper communion, which I think is a great thing, it it communicates the communal nature. You can't have communion by yourself, can you? It is celebrated together as a body, as a church, It's very likely for them that they partook weekly at their gathering, but that's another sermon for another day. What makes their commitment all the more compelling is that they had no building, none, like not even like a little building, no budget, no paid staff, no programs, but still the same, they were committed to gathering together for worship. They continued as long as they could to worship in the temple. We see that referenced here. In this early time, they were still able to go to the temple and and to the Jewish synagogue. But eventually, their their worship took place in homes, exclusively in homes. Church members who had larger homes would host the church gathering. And so they might have a large courtyard area or a large inner room, and so they worship in homes. And this would be the case for centuries. Not a few decades, but for centuries, Christians worshiped in homes. But don't assume the fact that they're meeting to worship in a home, that it was just sort of hanging out and talking about Jesus a little bit. It was not. They had a sense of order. They had a sense of reverence in their worship. It could be dynamic, but it wasn't sort of just thrown together at the last minute. There was intent and and thought put into their time because they were worshiping the God who was worthy of all glory. They would have a time of teaching. I've already covered and talked a lot about that. And notice this, that they embraced a particular day for their primary gathering. It wasn't just like, oh, I think this week we'll meet on Tuesday. Maybe next week it'll be like a Wednesday or something. But no, they very early on designate a particular day for their worship. We see this more plainly in Acts chapter 20. You can look at it later. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 begins using this language. On the first day of the week, Sunday, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, again, this language of the Lord's Supper, And we have many other sources, early sources that would corroborate and ultimately help explain and unpack their move to focus on Sunday for corporate worship. And it wasn't just an easy day. Sunday was not like a day off. There was no holiday. It was still a work day for people. So very often they would worship very early in the morning so that everyone could then go to work for the rest of the day. 
It was much later that they have anything like a, a day off, so to speak, much later when Christendom develops. And so what a picture for us. Uh, under the old covenant, uh, God's people worshiped on Saturday. You're aware of that, the Sabbath. Jews still worship on Saturday on the Sabbath, and some Christians have chosen to do that, Seventh-day Adventists. But for most Christians and for the Orthodox Church, Sunday became a holy day for gathered worship out of remembrance, what? For Christ's resurrection, that he rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so every week was Easter. Every week was a reminder that Christ is risen from the grave. And then the Lord's Supper, again, assuming that they practiced it, if not every week, very often the Lord's Supper was a picture of the atonement, the blood that was shed for our salvation. Christians certainly worshiped privately, but corporate worship was essential. The author of Hebrews warned them about, you know the text, not neglecting to meet together, Hebrews 10, 25. The church's commitment to weekly worship was, was not an idea that Christians kind of later thought of, oh yeah, we should kind of do that. It might, it might help give us a little bit of order and structure. It was a core commitment from the beginning and the scriptures commend it to us for our obedience. And so I ask you, do you treasure the weekly gathering of the church? Do you look forward to it? Are you thinking about it on Saturday night when you go to bed? Are you still going back to it in your mind on Monday morning when you go on to work or other responsibilities? Do you treasure the weekly gathering? My hope has been that, that after COVID, as we think about, oh, Lord, how can you, what good can you bring from this? My hope has been that there would be a greater desire to, to gather together with God's people, knowing the difficulties of it all and, and recognizing that there was a time where we literally could not gather in our building. But there is also potential that the hearts of some would grow cold having been away. And if that's you today, pray that God would renew your joy in corporate worship. When you, when you pray this way, God, give me joy. Give me the desire to come and to gather together with your people as I know you have commanded me to. When you pray this way, you're praying a good thing. God, stir up my heart to obey you. God, that I would receive the benefits. But also, I would want to encourage you, come even when you don't feel it. The very experience of worship together fills us up, strengthens us, restores our souls, and then we go out to do the Lord's work. Maybe you've had that experience. I know I have. It's, it's a little different when I'm being a senior pastor, but times when I've been pastoring, there have been times where I'm just exhausted after the week and there's any thought, oh, goodness, it would be so good to be able to just, just have a day and, and not have to go. But you know what? Every time I go, I am grateful. And you know that feeling too, don't you? May the Lord restore that, encourage that, cultivate that in our hearts. Another important part of their worship service was prayer. We see that listed last in verse 42. You know, and I'll be honest with you, over the last year, now having a year of, of reference as I look back, I have been blessed to see our church's commitment to prayer. I love, that. Don't, don't tell them that I do this, but on Wednesday nights, I get to hear the prayer team behind me praying in, because ultimately my office right next to there, I get to hear them interceding together behind my office. It's a beautiful sound. We pray together on, on Wednesday as a gathered body. And honestly, I think even, even equally as important in my own heart is, is this sense of, organic culture within the church of people praying for one another as needs arise. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. And that we would just so naturally do that. It is good 
and honoring to the Lord, and it's the way that it should be. So I commend that and only want us to do more. In our corporate gatherings, prayer should be an indispensable part. Not merely as a formality. It's easy that, okay, we pray before the service, we pray at the end of the service, and, and maybe we pray in Sunday school. Not merely as a formality. But as the lifeblood of a people who are dependent upon God for all things, we need to pray. Church, there's something beautiful about the diversity of the larger body of Christ. But this should not suggest that God merely kind of left it up to us. Yeah, just do with the church as you would, whatever, whatever ultimately suits you, that you can kind of do it, and that he only sort of gave us these roughest sketches. No. These core commitments of the apostolic church give us a model that should shape us. All that we do, all that we are, and I want to reaffirm this with you today. Let's be committed together to the unchanging truths of biblical teaching. Let's pursue genuine fellowship that is based on our shared redemption in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let's hold up the reason that we exist ultimately to worship the triune God, the creator of heaven and earth that is worthy of all of our praise. And let us do that together as a body, week by week by week. And as we do this, we get to enjoy the fullness, the richness of God's design for his people in the church as we await the return of our blessed King. As we have a time now for invitation, there could be a host of ways that we would respond to this. But ultimately, even from the very beginning, the one I want to mention is the fact that if you are not in Christ, if you are not already a Christ follower, if you have not repented of your sins, believed in Him, and been saved and changed in your heart, then ultimately you can't have this fellowship. Ultimately, you can't know true worship. But God calls you today, and I would ask that you might come, that you might consider even this day, if that is you, to believe in Christ and ultimately repent of your sins. And I would be glad to talk to you about that. Maybe you want to consider joining our church. Maybe you're here as a, as a guest. Maybe you've been here as a guest for a long time. There's no better day that you would come and be part of this fellowship that you would come and help us as we ultimately come together to follow after our Lord in obedience. However you would like to respond, maybe you want to just come and pray. I invite you to come to the front to come and to pray to our Lord. You are welcome to that. If you would all please stand as we sing the hymn of invitation. decided to follow Jesus I have
Thank you, Billy, for leading us. I want to say a word of just blessings over each of you. I look forward to seeing many of you this week at VBS. May the Lord bless each of you, grant you with health. We're going to have a closing prayer now from one of our deacons, brother, if you would come. Let us pray. Well, Father, we're thankful for this message this morning, Lord. And, and as we think about it and we, we grow and build our relationship with you, Lord, we just pray that in turn it would build the church, our church here in Starnes Cove. And Lord, uh, we just ask a blessing on that as it grows, Lord, not only for our church, but for the church in our community, our state, our country, the whole world, Lord, that as individuals grow and build their relationship with you, Lord, that it builds your, your kingdom stronger, and then we go and share the word with others. So, Lord, we just pray for a special blessing as we leave here, Lord. Keep this message close to our heart and on the forefronts of our mind as we, we have the opportunity to share this week and be disciples. And Lord, now I just pray a special blessing on Vacation Bible School, everyone that um, will be here from the youngest to the oldest to the learners to the people that have served, Lord, that you would just be glorified. It would be all about you, Lord, for everything that we do this week. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name, amen.